continue in our worship and praise of our Lord and our God by opening up his word and reading from it. I ask you all to stand for the reading of the word of our God. Luke 16. Please stand for the reading. Luke 16, verses 19 to 31. Hear the word of our God. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he, the rich man, was in torment, looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The rich man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead uh, to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So we just ask our Father, Heavenly Father, please uh, bless your word. Uh, The words of a thousand angels, Lord Father, cannot express our gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus and for revealing yourself through your word and through your spirit. And we ask that you bless it all this morning. Amen. So last Sunday, our brother Ted, when speaking on the, uh, the parable of the, sh- of the shrewd manager, Ted compared this world to a proving ground or a testing field. And Ted, and Ted said, uh, how we handle the resources that a good God places in our hands will reveal what is inside us, for good or for ill. Now today we read a parable that Jesus told about two men whose time of testing has come to an end. And now the time of reckoning is upon them. Jesus tells the story of a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus to reveal to his listeners that the, the, the consequences that God has set in place for those who use his resources for ill. That is, those who squander the gifts of wealth and health and time, and knowledge, just to advance their own lifestyles, their worldly pleasures, and their worldly status. So Jesus, tell, uh, uh, Jesus tells this parable, and, uh, and in it he, he draws back a, cu- a curtain, if you will, and reveals to his listeners two unseen realms. Abraham's side, or also Abraham's bosom in other translations, and Hades, or hell in other translations. And I think that the, one of the easiest ways to describe Abraham's bosom would to say that it's part of God's space. And as humans, it is basically inconceivable for us to understand God's space. So that's why the Bible often uses illustrations 
and images and symbols for us to understand God's face, not to know what it looks like, but so that we can know the glorious and divine attributes of God's face. And Jesus does a marvelous job in this parable by using Abraham, by showing to his listeners that, those, uh, uh, that, there, that in God's space, there is an eternal comfort for those who, like Abraham, live by faith and not by sight, who seek the glory and the honor and the immortality of God, and they seek the better and heavenly country whose architect and maker is God. So, uh, uh, so Hades, or hell, um, appears to be also a place that God made for those who have abandoned the God that made them in his image and who loves them. It is reserved for those who are corrupt and wicked and faithless from whom God will hide his face. And the Bible also uses illustrations and images to describe Hades. And perhaps most of the two prominent images we have are those of torment and fire, as we've seen in this parable. And they're almost always associated with God's righteous anger. In chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, Moses writes that God kindles a fire in his wrath and it burns down to the lowest hell, the realm of the dead. And the book of Revelation reveals that Hades will one day um, give up its occupants to stand before the white throne of judgment of God to give an account for what they have done. Okay, so getting to the parable. So we, we have this scene. Jesus is about to preach, and we have right the multitude before him. You have your, your Pharisees and, and your scribes. You have your rich men, your rich people, your poor people, right? the tax collectors and sinners and whatnot. And Jesus starts telling a parable, uh, right? and Jesus starts off and says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, a sign of nobility and fine linen. He lived in luxury every day. And there was a beggar named Lazarus lying at his gate, covered in sores, longing to eat the food that fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sore. Now, the dogs are there to emphasize uh, Lazarus' suffering. For those of you familiar with Dan Snadden, Dan Snadden was a Christian who went through the Second World War, and he wrote a book about his time in the prisoner of war camp. And Dan said he would walk through the prison camp with a wooden spoon, and he would scoop out the rotting flesh of other soldiers who were there, just rotting to death in front of him. That's the image I want you to get in your mind of the state of Lazarus was in. He was, he was practically rotting to death at the gate of this rich man. Within, uh, so and if you were to ask, uh, for the people there listening, this would not have been a, a shocking thing that Jesus said, right? It probably would not have been that uncommon to see something like that in Jerusalem, in Judea, and, and in Israel. And if you were to ask most of the people there, what would you think happened to these two men once they die? I believe that most of them, except for the Sadducees who do not believe in the resurrection, most of them would say that, well, the rich man would be ushered into God's presence where Lazarus would be found in Hades. Because after all, right, the, the understanding was that wealth was uh, God's means of actively blessing those who, who remained obedient to his law and to his word. And, and poverty was God's means of actively judging those who were sinful and, and who were ignorant to, to, ignorant to the scriptures. But Jesus is awesome, right? As our brother Phil once said, Jesus comes into our lives to interrupt it, 
to turn things upside down. And this is exactly what Jesus does here with this parable. Because Jesus goes on to say that the beggar died and he got ushered into God's presence, into Abraham's bosom. And, and you could just hear the people saying, what? What did Yeshua just say? Right? And the scribes and the Pharisees are like, no, this guy's lying. He's teaching falsities. But the poor people are there saying, did he just say what, he, what I thought he said? You mean there's hope for us still? Right? And then Jesus goes on to say, and then the rich man died. Well, and he's in Hades pleading for mercy. Everybody's like, what? What did he just say? Right? And you can hear the, five, the Pharisees and scribes mumbling about, amongst themselves saying, you know, this guy speaks the words of, of Beelzebub, the leader of the demons, and, and all the poor, just like all excited. And the whole place is just probably like buzzing. The hairs on my arms are standing up just thinking about it. Right? So then, then Jesus goes on in the parable, and Abraham says something fascinating there. So the rich man pleads for mercy, and then Abraham sa- says, son, remember. Remember in your lifetime, you received good things, while Lazarus received his bad things. And now he is comforted, and you, in to- or you are in torment. Now I'm the one going, what? What, Jesus, what are you saying? Because that's not taught in the New Testament. I don't see that. Where, where, like, just because someone has wealth and a nice home and fine clothes, they're automatically going to go to hell when they die? Or somebody who's poor and sick, they're automatically going to go to heaven when they die? How do, how do we handle something like this? What is Jesus saying? So bear with me here. Sorry. So you have to bear with me here. So what, so what I did to help expound on this is I created a conversation between the rich man and Abraham. This is my job at being John Bunyan, Walter Bunyan, right? <laughs> Sounds good. So this is how it goes. So, so Abraham says to the rich man, <clears throat> Son, remember in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received his bad things. And the rich man says, rightfully so, because I was not like other men. I was not a robber. I was not an evildoer. I, I, I was not an adulterer. I was not like those tax collectors. And I was most certainly not like this beggar, Lazarus. And Abraham says, Son, remember in your lifetime you studied the law. And the rich man says, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors and I was zealous for God just as much as anybody else. Abraham says, Well, then you prayed the Shema. And the rich man says, I prayed the Shema every morning and every evening. Recite the Shema for me. So the rich man says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as reminders on your hands. Bind them on your forehead. Write them above the door frames of your home and above your gates. And the rich man says, all this I have done from my youth. Then Abraham says, but what about the commandment to love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself? And the rich man says, well, who was my neighbor? And Abraham says, Lazarus was your neighbor. And the rich man says, am I a Samaritan? Am I supposed to be found guilty of being ceremonially unclean just because I touched this man who was half dead? 
And Abraham says, but the Lord God commanded you to be open-handed to your fellow Israelites, to the poor and needy in the land. And the rich man says, shall I take what is sacred and cast it to the dogs? Shall I cast my pearls to the swines? I fasted twice a week and I gave a tenth of everything I got to the Lord God. And Abraham says, you hypocrite. You tie the tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you neglect the greater, more important things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Do not think that I reminded you of these good things that you had in life so that you can justify yourself before me. I reminded you of them so that you can see that where your treasure was, that's where your heart was. So you can see that you served money rather than you served God, rather than serve God. And so that you can see that your love for money produced all kind of evil within you. Do not think that I will condemn you before the Father, says Abraham. Moses, in whom you had set your hopes, he will condemn you before the Father. And now you are in agony and Lazarus is in comfort. And the rich man says, Why? what did Lazarus do? Why is he in comfort? All he did was lie at my gate and beg. And Abraham says, are you a teacher of the law and you do not understand heavenly things? Lazarus was poor in spirit. Now his is the kingdom of God. Lazarus mourned. Now he is comforted. Lazarus was meek, and now he will inherit the earth. Lazarus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Now he will be filled. Lazarus, Lazarus mourned. Now he, uh, now he, he shall be uh, mourned. Now he, he, he Lazarus mourned. He shall be comforted. Lazarus. Uh, was pure in heart. Now he shall see God. Lazarus was a peacemaker. Now he shall be called a child of God. Lazarus was persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now his is the kingdom of God. And the rich man says, Well, have pity on me. Send Lazarus to dip his finger in tip of his finger in water and touch my tongue because I am in agony in these flames. And Abraham says, the Lord God has set a chasm between us. Even if we wanted to go to you, we cannot, nor, nor can anyone from there come to here. Everything is fixed and no one can change it. So I believe, so this is me talking now, uh, I believe that This chasm in the parable is a representation of the terrifying truth that for those who reject God, that God's mercy and grace comes to an end at death. I'm going to allow the real John Bunyan to to expound on this one. For those of you who don't know who John Bunyan was, John Bunyan was a Puritan and and a, a preacher, um, and an author during the 1600s, and he was in prison for preaching for, for prison for preaching the word of God for 12 years. And while he was in prison, he wrote he wrote a couple of books. And one of them was called Pilgrim's Progress, and it's an allegory about a man a man named Christian who's leaving his town, uh, the, the city of destruction, and he's on his way to the celestial city. So the book is about his journey. And the, the part I want to read to you now is uh, Abraham. Uh, sorry. 
Christian comes to the home of the interpreter, and the interpreter is taking him from room to room, showing him visions and interpreting for him. Now, last, uh, now sorry, I keep all these names mixed up. Christian comes to the room where there is a man in an iron cage, and this is the conversation between uh, Christian and the man in the iron cage. The man, I am now a man of despair, shut up in it, as in this iron cage. I cannot get out. Oh, now I cannot. Christian, but how camest thou into this condition? The man, I left off to watch and be sober. I laid the reins upon the neck of my lusts, and I sinned against the light of the world and the goodness of God, and I have grieved the spirit, and he is gone. I tempted the devil, and he has come to me. I have provoked God to anger, and he has left me. I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. Then said Christian, Is there no hope, but you must be kept in this iron cage of despair? No, none at all. Why? The son of the blessed is very pitiful. I have crucified him to myself afresh. I've despised his person. I have despised his righteousness. I've counted his blood an unholy thing. I have done despite to the spirit of grace. Therefore, I have shut myself out of all the promises. And there now remains to me nothing but threatenings, dreadful threatenings, faithful threatenings of certain judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour me as an adversary. For what did you bring yourself into this condition? Now listen to this. The man, for the lusts and the pleasures and profits of this world, just like our parable, in the enjoyment of which I did then promise myself much delight, but now every one of those things also bite me and gnaw me like a burning worm. Christian, but canst thou now repent and turn? God hath denied me repentance. His word gives me no encouragement to believe. Yea, himself hath shut me up in this iron cage, nor can all the men in the world let me out. O eternity, eternity, how shall I grapple with the misery that I must meet with in eternity? And I don't think I can add to that. So the, so the rich man now, seeing that there's no hope for himself, again cries out to Lazarus for mercy, but not for himself, but for his five brothers. No, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to my brothers so to warn them about you know, the truth of God's kingdom and what it's really like. And to tell them about the torment that I'm in so that they will not come here. And Abraham says, They have the scriptures. They have the word of God. They have the Torah. They have the Psalms. They have the prophets. They have all the writings. All those things testify to your brothers about the truth. And the rich man says, no, 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 they won't because they're like me. I know them. That seeing they they do not see and hearing they they do not hear and they will not understand. But there's hope for them, Father Abraham. Send Lazarus, because they know Lazarus as that honest beggar who lied at my gate. He, he would not steal. He would not uh, take advantage of other people just to feed himself. He would not transgress the law of God to make his condition better. Therefore, send Lazarus. They will believe him. And Abraham says, no, they won't. Even if one goes to them from the dead, they will not believe. And Abraham knows this. In his day, Abraham saw the furnace-like 
flames and smoke coming from Sodom and Gomorrah because they would not be convinced by the blinding testimony of the angels that were sent there looking for ten righteous men. They will not be convinced lest one rises from the dead. See, the, Abraham knows that, that uh, angels or people risen from the dead cannot soften the heart of those who are bent on evil, whose God is their stomach and who, who, whose glory is their shame. The, uh, the power and the grace that is in and through the word of God is more than sufficient to draw a sinner's attention to the destruction that awaits them if they do not repent and rely on God for their salvation. I believe that God has called and commanded all people into his space, into this new creation he has promised those who love him. But it, it's an unspeakable, unspeakable tragedy that you know, innumerable people through the centuries have rejected God's offer of eternal life. And some, as we see in this parable, have done so simply the glories of this world that are temporary and fleeting and lead to hell. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The love of money truly is the root of all kinds of evil because it separates people from people, the rich man and Lazarus, and it separates people from God, the rich man in Hades. But the love of money is not the only thing that separates people from people and people from God. So does the gospel of Jesus Christ. The proclamation that salvation is through and only through the grace of God in Jesus Christ and faith therein divides people like a sword. There are those like Mary who will cling to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And there are those who, like the rich man, will reject it simply for the good things of their life. They will not be convinced whether one rises from the dead or not, or whether one rises from the dead. And Jesus Christ was he. He was the one, the firstborn from the dead, who was resurrected. And now Jesus sends out his witnesses, the Christians in the world, who they too are raised from the dead because they are those who have passed from death to life, John 5. They are those who are born again, John 3. Christians are, are, are uh, symbolically, they're, they're like the two witnesses and the two olive trees and the two uh, lampstands in Revelation 11 who prophesy in the streets. And blessed are those who, who have not seen Jesus but still believe their testimony. But woe to those who will not be convinced. About a month ago, our brother Bruce spoke, and in, in his sermon, he reminded us of a, of a very important question that Jesus asked his disciples that he asked all of us today. Anybody remember what that question was? Who do you say that I am? At the end of the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus asked Peter another and very important question that he asks all of us. Simon Bar-Jonah, Peter, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. For my sheep are hungry. 
They're thirsty. They're strangers. They're in need of clothing. My sheep are sick, and my sheep are in prison. If you love me, you'll give my sheep something to eat. You'll give them something to drink. You'll invite them into your homes, into your assemblies, and you'll give them clothes. When they're sick, you'll take care of them. And when you're in prison, you'll visit them. For truly I tell you, and this is the verse that sums it all up, and we all know it well. For truly I tell you, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you have done for me. So as the music group comes up, I'd like you all to um, get out the green hymnal in front of you and turn to page, I think it's 328, Be Thou My Vision. I want us all to stand and sing verse 3 as our, clo- as our closing prayer today. And we'll, stay, uh, we'll remain standing as the, as the praise group uh, leads us in the closing song. So I'll stand up. Pardon? 382? <laughs> Thanks. 382, all standing, and we're going to sing verse 3 together. And I'm not going to sing because... Tell will you lead us, please? <clears throat> verse 3. Okay. Riches I